0: was born and born and raised here and have had my heart broken here many times but um like anything that you really love you just keep going back to it Just, we'll just uh, go at we'll, this. We'll, we'll, do nice. the, we'll do the video chat thing another yeah. time.
1: Yeah, but I do. I am recording right now, even while we're getting settings, getting set up. Um, so, Dane, Johnny, Johnny, Dane.
2: Nice to meet you. All
0: right, Johnny, nice to meet you, too. That was a weird introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. It's all right. So, um, just so that we're all... And I can't see... Huh? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I can't see both of you, so it's going to be more realistic for me um
1: yeah i guess so with our conversation okay um all right so just so that we're all on the same page uh you and i talked the other day and i let you know that um we're not recording video just audio if there's anything at any point we get to that you decide you want edited out we're cool with that we are not interested in in producing something that we're not all happy with there's no gotchas or anything like that um and uh, we, yeah, this, this is not the Oprah interview, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, we plan to drop the episode Wednesday, um, like Tuesday night okay. after midnight. And if you like it after you hear it and you want to promote it, we'd love that. But if you don't, uh, we'll cry. And no, we won't cry, <laughs> but um, and I, I, I we're looking, it looks, it's looking right now like this is the the second to last episode of the season johnny and i will do a wrap up on the community season so oh there he is oh there you are oh my gosh look how long your hair is when you ever had long hair oh my goodness i
0: i had long hair during college and then i had started i had started growing it out before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and then the pandemic hit and it was like okay well i'm gonna see this through so all right so so i was just playing around as you were doing that intro Uh i hit the hide the hide cam icon. Uh-huh. And it and it took me off my own screen for a uh-huh. moment. And then I hit it again. Well, here you are. And now all I'm right back, well note so. to self if that happens okay. again.
2: Now we're all having Play a realistic experience. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah. I
1: know. I need to rearrange my house so that when we do it this way we're not backlit because because now you—I mean—it's hard to see Johnny's face, but here. No, that's
2: okay. You don't want to see his face anyway. <laughs> and
1: then in front of us, I've got those, um, those that soundproof egg crate stuff on okay. cardboard in front of us, in front of the window. I mean, this room is really wide open. So.
2: Super, super sophisticated. Yeah, we're
1: super high tech operation yeah, here. Yeah, that's
2: that, <laughs> that's where the magic really—the magic really it happens. is. Yeah,
1: yeah. someday we're gonna when we're in a, a fancy studio. We're going to look back on these days in the dining room and laugh. Um, Okay, so welcome everybody to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Strongly Worded Podcast. I'm Sue O'Leary. And I am
2: Johnny Hampton.
1: And we are coming at you on a Saturday morning from the fancy dining room studio (laughs) that I was just uh, giving a description to to our guests today. Um, If you are familiar with the name Dane Walling, you either grew up in Flint and hung out with him playing on the playground at Pierce or uh, other places, or maybe did some volunteer work with him. If you know him from headlines, maybe you know him as the former mayor of Flint, Michigan. I know him as my former math tutor for a minute in high school. Do you remember that? That that's how we started hanging out? You tutored me?
0: I do. Yeah, I, I think that was also part of like the 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 fun things we did in sixth hour when we should have been doing something right, else. Like right, like we played Euchre
1: instead of <laughs> instead of studying world events occasionally, but only occasionally. Um. So welcome to the show, Dane. We are uh, happy to have you. Thank you for accepting our invitation to talk about community so I've said this a few times setting up guests because and it's true every single time when we started talking about um, hometowns and the way they affected us and molded Johnny and I and then sort of broadening that into how how we uh, affect the communities we live in how the communities we lived in affected us um, you're just somebody that I couldn't have not reached out to because I've said to you before the other day on the phone and to Johnny like it was always just in you to be out in the community volunteering uh, organizing doing even when we were kids it was just part of who you are um would you agree with that assessment
0: yeah. yes i've i've loved i've loved flint for uh, a, a long time for as long as i can remember and you were born I, there yes you know, it, it, i was yeah, born and born and raised here and have had my heart broken here many mm-hmm. times but um like anything that you really love you just keep going back to Mm -hmm. it
1: so um it's funny that that is the statement that you open with because johnny and i were talking uh, a little this morning about that's um really a theme that i i want to discuss is uh, you've loved flint so hard and
0: it hasn't always loved you back yeah this is this is a tough town and i i think as as any of us who grew up here um whether we grew up in a in a neighborhood with you know bigger houses or with friends that had to move a lot because families couldn't pay the rent you you realize that there's there's a lot of just difficult circumstances in our community Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering but there are also just so many amazing people and stories Mm -hmm. and um, I think it's that that latter part of this community that just keeps you know, bringing me back. And there's also something deeper, too, because we're, you know, we're here in the, the heart of the country. Um, I'm, I'm very proud to be an American myself. And I think that places like Flint really represent a, a, an opportunity for our country, um, for all the challenges that we've had. It's like we've got to figure out how to make places like Flint, um, you know, not just be a hometown, but be, you know, a really good, caring opportunity-rich kind of hometown, and we're, we're certainly not there right now. So I, I've always had that um, kind of political or intellectual engagement with this community, too, and, and the communities that are like Flint that are scattered all around this mm-hmm. country. So let's start from the beginning um, and talk a little bit about what Flint was like
1: growing up. We had our previous guest, um, she grew up on the north side i was a south side kid you're kind of right in the middle in the college cultural neighborhood what was what was flint like to you um as a youngster
3: i
0: i I had a wonderful childhood in flint you know my my parents were both teachers and um, i i felt like i just kind of had everything i could i could want you know i never had to go to the cupboard where there wasn't Food in it, and I could always go outside and find a friend to play, you know, kickball or frisbee, or you know, we played we played tackle football in the street too. I mean, it didn't, it didn't matter to us. Um, we we just got out there and played. You know, it was supposed to be touch on the on the road, but you could play tackle on the grass in between. You know, the six feet of grass between the road and the sidewalk. Yeah. But of course, you always you know started tackling on the grass and ended up in mm-hmm. the road. Um, so just. I had a really wonderful childhood in terms of education and home life and neighborhoods. It really was kind of an idyllic
1: neighborhood. It was the neighborhood that my husband and I came back to um, when I was pregnant with our first. And it's, you know, the tree-lined streets and sidewalks. I haven't lived with a sidewalk since we left Flint, Michigan, really anywhere. And it's... um, some uh, throughout the season have talked a little bit about people who have this idea of flint based on what they read in the headlines and then we sit and talk about what it's like and i think johnny's mind has been blown a couple times
2: oh definitely Uh Uh with your specialized i know
1: we were talking we talked a lot about walker with our last guest did you go to were you a walker walker
0: I was for fifth and sixth grade, mm-hmm. so um, I time. guess i i worked my I worked my way into the talented program. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, so it, it took it took a few grades to get there, and, and then, of course, as you get older, you realize the the very complex political and legal history mm-hmm. around uh, why the Flint schools and the Board of Education resisted um, school integration, and then the various ways that. People were treated across the community, and you know the white schools became places that that African American students were bused to. But as far as I know, there weren't any white students being, you know, bused to African American schools. So um... it. That's always um, the way, it,
2: you know. It's funny you mention that because I right. that 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 is always the way it happens. They they bust a certain community somewhere else, but they don't they don't do the reverse, which ends up in a lack of understanding at some points.
1: Well, would you say that's even true in high school? I mean, I, I took math and science at Northern.
0: Yeah, that's right, and, and I did too. Um, so by the time you got to high school, yeah, if you wanted to take the most advanced classes, then individually, mm-hmm. you know, you had to go to a you know in in my case you know a school where I think about 80 percent of the student population was was probably African-American at that point so Mm -hmm. um, you know you end up as someone growing up in Flint without even knowing all those complexities um, I I definitely know that I personally benefited Mm -hmm. from the the interactions and relationships that I had with people who had you know all different um, ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds and you know, and, and for that matter, um, you know, families with all different levels of income too. We were in a public school system. Um, you, you have those kind of um, relationships. Mm-hmm.
2: And the more people you meet like that, the better empathy you have for people in general. Mm-hmm. So, that's always good. I I grew up kind of like that. So, in a in a multiracial, multicultural elementary and junior high school, and I think it's helped me in my life for sure.
1: Yeah. So um, spoiler alert, you're a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah you're, you're, you're incredibly smart and you're also intelligent and but it wasn't it's something that it seems like it came kind of naturally to you, right? Like with a lot of things. It seems like a lot of things in the beginning, you were social, you were active, you were community minded. What, what are some of the things like what were your extracurriculars growing up? What did you do outside of? Going to school and and you were whittier too yeah, right I, like you went right up walker whittier central, walker, whittier
0: central. Mm-hmm. yes yes and i did go to freeman before that at, you know you mentioned the south side suit, but until until we'll i was in sixth together? grade you might not have remembered this um well maybe you know i i think i'm a year younger than you uh-huh. right but um i've walked to freeman uh, I lived on Buckingham, so we were we were just on the other side of, of Atherton Road from where you were on Circle mm-hmm. Drive. Wow. So I know, all the, Flint, all the Flint people right now are saying, like, do you really have to get into, like, every <laughs> <street>? Yeah, kind of, <laughs> I know. Yeah, we, but, we, yeah, because I, I, I didn't like... leave Freeman until fifth
1: grade, so I guess we were there. I'll have to go back and look at my Welcome. little... And I little yearbooks. Welcome
2: to our Flint deep dive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I did say that this podcast this season has been a little self-indulgent because we both come from places that are very easy to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of this topic. So it's been kind of a reunion of sorts for us (laughs) with various guests. But what did you do? So what? it's something that I I admired about you when we were growing up that you were so community minded. Tell me a little bit about the kinds of things that you did uh, when we were kids
0: yeah I, w- I worked on um, we, we had a local kind of version of Habitat for Humanity called the Salem Housing Task Force that I loved I, I've always liked to work with my hands so when I could do work with my hands and do community work at the same time like that was you know the best of mm-hmm. all worlds for me we had a big project called Operation Brush Up where um, the community would come together and try to paint you know virtually every house on a couple blocks all, all for free where you know families could have a you know an upgrade to their exterior and fix a few things on the porch and you know get the bushes and trees trimmed back the the kinds of things are especially hard for older Mm -hmm. um, homeowners so operation brush up salem housing task force um, later habitat for humanity Mm -hmm. uh, got involved in the crim uh, road races now the crim fitness foundation Mm -hmm. and um, yeah just a lot of community cleanups and um, you know those were the kind of things that I I like to do. I will still go out and you know pick up trash in the neighborhood mm-hmm. when I have an extra hour of time. I just I don't know. Yeah. So you went. I was raised I was raised in the method I was I was raised in the Methodist church and you know we believe in trying to do you know all the good you can as uh, as much as the time as you can. So I think that was just on a part of part of who I was, but also kind of what I learned early on about what mattered in life. Mm-hmm.
1: And you did these things as a family, or were you getting dropped off?
0: You know what I mean. Like, were these family values? It was a combination. It was a combination. Um, my dad especially was real hands-on too. He liked to get out and you know paint the house and fix the garage. And um, my my mother would too. But I think my dad was more involved in some of the larger community networks at you know when I was younger.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about going off to college.
0: Well, I, I was you know I was thrilled to go to Michigan State. That was that was my number one choice. They had this uh, fantastic integrative applied social science program called James Madison College, and I went there on a visit day and listened to the writing professor and whose um, name was uh, Dr. Ronald Dore, and just really was I, I knew right away this is okay. This is where I want to go. I, I need to get in mm-hmm. here. Uh, it's forty five minutes from the house. Mm-hmm. It's a land grant university. Um, and yeah. that was a really wonderfully rich experience for me. I, I do have to say, talking about coming from Flint and different educational backgrounds, when I got to Michigan State, I had never seen so many white people in one place. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was, that's, yeah, see, that's changed you, a little bit now, but it, it, was, uh, it was a shock. You
2: grew up in Flint and went to Michigan State. Some people went to Michigan. I don't, yeah. I don't understand yeah. that, but... Some people are traitors, Dean. I
1: know, I'm trying really hard not to make a joke, little brother, but... Um... Some people are traitors. <laughs> but no, but you, I, I will, I, I guess, I mean, I did some law school at Michigan State, so I'm open to the James Madison aspect of Michigan State, but but you had a great experience there and you, and that took you I mean, not only just out of East Lansing or Michigan, but out of the country for a while after that.
0: Yeah, I really been kind of honed my interest in community work and urban affairs. I served as an AmeriCorps member in Lansing while I was at Michigan State, and, and then as I was looking at graduate schools, um, you know, had the great fortune when I applied for both the, the Truman Scholarship for Public Service and then the Rhodes Scholarship that I was awarded both of those and was able to continue my graduate education, you know, and, you know, some of the best mm-hmm educational institutions in the English-speaking world, and um, then was able to bring that back. Um, My first job after graduate school was working for D.C.'s Mayor Tony Williams and uh, understanding the District of Columbia from a very different perspective than my friends who were just interested in, you know, working on federal legislation or working on the Hill.
1: On a very small scale, I experienced learning a lot about Flint When I went away, based on other people's opinions of what that must have been like, like when I went to Chicago to go to DePaul for a few years, uh, people were still talking about Roger and me. Um, A great way to learn about where you come from is to leave it and see what people say. You know, before I was in the airport waiting to leave to spend a summer backpacking in Europe when the Oklahoma bombing happened. So it was interesting to see what people mm. to you know what people thought of what was happening in America from uh, a cafe in Paris. What are are there any is there anything in particular or any things in particular that you learned about where you came from just from other people's views on you know the other side well, of the world. You hit on
0: it with Roger. Yeah, you hit on it with Roger and mm-hmm. me that there's um, you know that that documentary told Flint's or part of Flint's story. To the world, and um, unlike most people in Flint, I actually uh, liked Michael Moore's work, and and I thought Roger and me was uh, a brilliant, you know, piece of filmmaking. Now, clearly, um, Michael has a perspective; he's not uh, ashamed oh. of his, of his politics, and he puts them out there for everybody to see. So you have to keep that in mind. You know, he's an artist, mm-hmm. uh, not just a documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So I had lots of conversations about. You know, Roger and me and General Motors and the United Auto Workers and um, all these, you know, characters, all these people who show up and tell their story in that movie. So I I think that, um, Bill, but those were conversations I like to have Mm -hmm. with people. I I wanted to talk about how corporations could be more community minded and, you know, how communities can better organize to improve their situations. So I I welcomed uh, people's interest in. You know Roger and me and Michael Moore um, and I liked sort of getting into the specifics about why so many people in Flint you know didn't like the movie mm-hmm. and thought it you know aired a lot of dirty yeah. laundry about the community. But I, I think it's real. Mm-hmm. You know those are real stories and real people yeah. and um, and his they're, point they're,
1: wasn't they're to tell this balanced light, story but... of for every tragedy there's a you know victory. That wasn't really what he was setting out to do. So. Judging and,
2: it against that. And that's, but that's the problem, though. Like, so I can understand why, you know, where I come from, um, South Jamaica, Queens, and Flushing, New York, people will focus on the negative. But, you know, if you're, if you're doing that movie, you know, you, you can find someone who made it out of Flint and was successful and see the balance. You can do that if you want to.
1: Well, you can also find that success right. in Flint.
2: Right. Like, you can do that. You can do that if you want to, so I can understand how people are upset he did not choose to do that
1: mm-hmm. what so you're you're worldly you're working in d c when you come back. What was the draw like did you always know you were going to come back to our hometown
0: yeah i i did I did always want to come back to Flint at some point I, I didn't know when exactly and and we were actually in Minneapolis for. For four years, for my wife to work on her PhD at the University of Minnesota after DC, before we finally came back to a family. Was smart, so, yeah. so wait a minute. Wait. No, so, so I have to.
2: Yeah. We have to take a side note here. Do you? Do you have children? Dane? Yes. So their father is a Rhodes Scholar and their mom is a PhD. What is
1: happening? No what? pressure, kids. <laughs> no pressure.
2: Oh my goodness! Yeah. That is. Yeah, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to ask them. But
2: I, I
3: think we just try to, um,
0: we just try to encourage, you know, learning and passion. I bet you do. <laughs> um, we...
1: I think that's awesome. And and I would just, I, I think this is a good place too, since we mentioned your wife that she's not from Flint,
0: so. No, she but she is from Bay City, mm-hmm. uh, which is just about an hour north of Flint. Oh, so okay. she is a Michigander. Mm-hmm. But and,
1: she's not from and, Flint. Uh, yeah, she is. This where she wanted no, but
0: she, to land. Oh, well, she tells a funny story about because um, of course she knew me very very well as we we dated for a few years and when I asked her to marry me um, when I was finishing my last year of graduate school and you know planning to move back to D.C. where she was um, she she told me a few months later that yeah well. When you asked me that, you know, it flashed through my mind. If I say yes to this, I know I'm going to end up living in Flint at some point. So if I if I say yes now, mm-hmm. then I'm not just marrying Dane, but I'm mm-hmm. married to the idea that at some point we're going to live back, back in Flint. And, and she was, um, like many things, she was right about that. <laughs> Did
1: not she grow to love the community the way you do? I mean, you don't have to speak for her. I mean, I guess we can't really get into her head, but... I mean, no, she's she, welcome to she sit
0: has, down and share has. with us. <laughs> right, but but Bay, you know, Bay City and Flint in some ways are, are pretty similar. They're, they're both real blue-collar towns mm-hmm. and a, a big automotive heritage. Um, Bay City is a little more Catholic than the Flint area is for these different reasons mm-hmm. of, of who immigrated where as these industries were booming. Um, but but she she really embraced the community and. You know, we not just as mayor but also now just in the community she's involved in all kind of work around cultural diversity uh-huh. and, and human rights and international film festivals and um, we we feel like for all the ups and downs you know not to jump ahead to the end of the story but we we're just individually we feel very um, blessed with the opportunities that we have had and the way you know our family and and so many parts of the community have kind of embraced us and embraced our children. Mm-hmm. They they had you know fantastic educational experiences here too. So um, we we have a lot to be to be grateful and thankful for.
1: Um, I married somebody that was also not from Flint, and I moved him into Flint, and we didn't stay terribly long, but he there's. Um, there's an allure like when you're there i I think that even in the short time we were there he he there were things about Flint that he really did grow to love very much and um I don't I, I don't think I think that we felt more connected to Flint than the ten years we spent in Wilson, North Carolina raising our kids. I mean there's definitely something that gets in your blood even in a short amount of, you know in the five years he lived there I think um, and I can see. I mean, even as we've kind of moved away and evolved and, and now we're very community-minded in another community where we live, um, and I don't think that we'll ever go back, but we still really care and we focus. Uh, and We look back or, or try to examine what's happening there now and, and if there's ways to, to impact that community we want to, even if sometimes it's just in reminiscing publicly or, or, or paying Tribute to you know a lot of the awesome
2: things That go on there so I can see Why don't you know towns like Cities like Flint or even the cities Where I grew up there they have like Generational history Mm -hmm. and you Get connected to that when you're in That town you feel that Mm -hmm. no matter Where you're from not all towns have That you like I realize that now where I Live right there's no general racial Mm -hmm. history Here in Palm Coast They they don't know Anything but where I grew up In Queens you had generations that Lived in a certain area Mm-hmm. and houses that were passed down from right. family to family and that kind of connects you in a way you know you got mm-hmm. kids that I mean I went to school with a kid that my mom went to school with his mom mm-hmm. you know so those mm-hmm. things those things kind of connect you in those kinds of towns right so I understand And this
1: is a newer community so who knows if you know maybe maybe Joseph's kids my son's kids will be here one day and and feel a tie to Palm Coast but I don't know that's a stretch <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, I, I I think you're right on about the intergenerational and um, you know my my grandfather on my mother's side, you know he went to Flint Central. I have his his yearbook from you know 1934 when he graduated. And as I went door to door on the campaign, I, I would have all kinds of conversations about, oh yeah, wasn't wasn't your grandfather on my father's side? Wasn't he a free? Wasn't he a minister? Wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't he at that church just mm-hmm. down the street? And oh, I I taught with your mother at, you know, Bunch or your dad at Emerson mm-hmm. or, you know, your your kids and my kids were in the same, mm-hmm. you know, basketball or soccer program together. So we, we do have an awful lot of that. I remember Carrie saying when we first moved back, I think she... You know, just in those first few weeks, you you know, you go to the grocery store, you go to the bank, and she would come back and have these stories about people who she had conversations with. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to learn somebody's life story in Flint, all you got to do is go to the grocery yep, store. Stand in line and behind them at the post office. you end up striking up a conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Even with the mask on, people still, mm-hmm. you know, want to want to tell you about themselves and see how you're doing and see how your family's doing. Right. And um, that's, that's definitely a, a wonderful part of this community.
1: Strongly Worded Podcast is brought to you in part by the Flagler County Basketball Program. For high-quality, community-based youth basketball for young people ages 8 to 18, look no further than the Flagler County Hurricanes. Enrolling now for the spring season with games starting on March 20th. We still have openings in all divisions. For more information, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or go to flaglerhurricanes.com.
2: As someone who traveled the world, you come back to your hometown and you win the election. Let's talk about the night you win, how you feel about being able to represent your hometown, the town you grew up with and your parents taught there, all those things. Let's talk about that emotion first.
0: Yeah, it, it was extraordinary, um, and and the the political journey it it was a journey. It had it had a lot of ups and downs in it throughout the entire time because I I ran and lost in two thousand seven. I, I lost by five hundred and eighty one oh. votes to the incumbent, um, a number that I'll never forget. <laughs> and, um, so, somebody asked me the next day at the at the gas station Of courses you you know of course you got to talk about everything in flint when you're at the gas station somebody says you know you know you know walling um, you're gonna you're gonna run again you almost got williamson you know last time and i just came right out and said yes uh, i'm going to run again um i i feel like i can get there and he was like well that's good you know you you keep at it and um William Mayor Williamson, who preceded me, he he actually resigned at the bottom of the recession when the city's mm. budget was really starting to deteriorate. He he called it a retirement, but politicians don't retire in midterm; they they resign. So he stepped out of the way, and we had a special election, and I ended up winning in August of two thousand nine with sixty four percent of the vote, the the second highest vote percentage of any mayoral candidate in in Flint history, and. For a young white guy in Flint, that felt pretty good. Um, it felt like I had done a lot of the things right, and all those conversations—I mean, literally thousands of conversations with people—you know—in their driveways, on their porches, mm-hmm. you know, on those sidewalks in front of their streets—that that people would put their their trust and faith in me in that position. Um, well, definitely some powerful uh, emotions that I, you know, I always carry with me and i and i was just ready to go right to work in flint when you win a mayoral election you don't wait like three months to get inaugurated you went on you went on tuesday and it was a special election so i was i was privately sworn in on wednesday night and i was publicly sworn in on thursday and um you know inherited a a city that was already facing a lot of issues uh, now august of 2009 facing 30 percent unemployment and the bottom of the great recession and um yeah, then then my, my time in office just proceeded from there.
1: Was there ever a point where you're like, "Why did it? What, what was? <laughs>
0: why, why did I want this
1: so bad?" Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the way you just uh, uh, I, you uh, just introduced your you know introduction to it, wow! Like that's.
0: I, I think I probably should have uh, not wanted to be there, but I I never had that yeah. thought to be honest. Um, I, I woke up every day. Regardless of, you know, how little sleep I had from everything I was trying to figure out um, that night, I woke up ready to go and trying to do, you know, my part. I, I really felt like this was, you know, this was what I was called to do. This is where I was supposed to be. And I, I just tried to wake up with that spirit and attitude every day. And it wasn't, it really wasn't hard. I mean, I just just kind of had that um, motivation that I carried with me. Did you feel like,
1: um, and maybe this is jumping ahead to the end a little bit, but did I, I'm, I'm a, a woman in a pretty male-dominated industry, and I have often felt until the role I have right now that um, this is the first time I've ever really kind of felt free to have the impact that I want to have on, on the, the property where I'm working. Um, you had a lot of influences kind of affecting your um, I don't, I don't know if I want to say ability, but it seems like you had a lot of forces over you and maybe you couldn't move as freely to do what you wanted to do as other mayors of other towns.
0: Yeah, that, that was my biggest frustration. And, and I knew, you know, I had worked for Mayor Tony Williams in Washington, D.C., and I knew a lot of the complications of, of this kind of job. But I, I think when you go back to 2009 and this Recession that virtually no one expected to be as deep and as long as severe as it was. Um, the 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 politics that we're seeing today, I actually think have a lot of their roots in that 2009-2010 era. That was the rise of the Tea Party. Um, Congressman Gabby Giffords was shot in the face at a town hall. Uh, bricks were being thrown through, you know, government windows, and um, you know. Here I was in Flint, Michigan, with a budget where every time I saw the finance director, you know, we had less money than the the time before, and we're trying to figure out how to provide, you know, public safety and cut the grass at the parks and and fill the potholes in the streets. And um, it, it it was definitely challenging, and with the Republican Party winning every statewide office in 2010, it also just completely changed the political makeup of the state uh, in terms of the policies and budget decisions that were being made. And, and those were, were very difficult for, for Flint. And, and that led, of course, to the appointment of emergency managers and, and kind of everything subsequent from there.
1: So, um, I mean, I guess I really don't even know how to, how do you want to introduce the topic of what happened with the water? Because I or like I, I think, think about yeah, I think about the visual of you on TV that I saw <laughs> st- truly literally standing in line at the bank um, on CNN of you know the the switch of the water source, and you were the face of it at least in the beginning, right
0: yeah there, there are moments that are are seared you know into my my mind and, and my heart. Um, being at the city's water plan and pushing the button, and later, I and mean, this was summer of 2015 when you know I believed we were doing all these things to improve the water system, and, and saying that you know it's meeting the standards, and, and drinking a cup of water on the news um, when I was asked if I would drink it because I was drinking Flint water every day, so why wouldn't I drink it, you know, on the news? So it, it's been a a very uh, you know, tragic set of circumstances for our community i mean it's it's almost unimaginable how it's affected people so negatively and um you know i i carry with me you know these these different sediments like on one hand i know i worked you know literally every hour i could be awake to try to figure out what was going on and and make the improvements that you know that that i could advocate for Um, and i also know that there was a lot that was happening uh, I now know there was a lot that I was happening that I didn't understand, and that those would later come out and those would you know put a lot of those earlier actions in a very negative light. So um, I feel like part of what I'm supposed to do in life right now is figure out what those lessons are and 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 how a democracy could could have gotten so far off track and and try to, um, you know share those with others who may be in, Similar circumstances in the
2: future. So now, I've read some things that say you necessarily didn't think that switch was a great idea.
0: Yeah, I had re- I had reservations. Um, I, I think anybody in Flint would say you know when you when the idea comes up about using the flint river as a a drinking water source you'd say kind of hold on you know what's is is that really a good idea um but i do also have to say that over the course of some months and with a lot of questions and and feedback from you know city and and state officials that i i did come to believe that the you know the water would be safe and it would be comparable to what we had been um, drinking when we were on the Detroit system, so it, it wasn't something that I advocated for um, before we had the emergency managers. I was in favor of this new pipeline from uh, Lake Huron, but uh, all of our projections showed us staying with Detroit until um, those those uh, until that new pipeline was put in place so you know it wasn't it wasn't my decision it, it wasn't um, what I expected us to do, but I did also. Um, you know, come to believe the officials and and the the scientists at the state level who were, um, you know, explaining that it was safe and comparable to what we had always had in our community. Yeah, and
2: that was like provided these other people did all did their jobs, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And and it's it's I it's difficult for me sometimes uh, as we think about where our country's at with this larger pandemic and. There's, there's I think a, a call to say we need to pay attention to what the scientists are saying and, and I believe that um, but I also know from what occurred in Flint that you know different scientists can have different agendas too mm-hmm. and, um, and and we really need to be not just looking at what um, government officials are saying, but we need to be looking at what independent academic experts are saying because they're not they're not caught up in those regulatory, um, kind of burden, So it's important to listen to a Dr. Fauci, but then it's also important to listen to, you know, independent doctors um, like our champion here in Flint, uh, Dr. Mona, who Mm -hmm. really revealed, you know, what was going on and and took on some of the scientists and experts in the state and and, and showed what was really happening to um, our community, especially our kids. It's,
1: it's, And I referred to this even in sort of our pre-conversation the other day. This is a a time that we're living through where we can't agree on what a fact is. And, you know, any sort of Facebook cowboy can put anything up and expect, you know, but just because you read it on the internet doesn't make it true. How do we know? I mean, how, how, I would hope, I would think that part of what we're living through should be in teaching people how to discern you know what's a reliable source of information about something like this and i can see why you know people in flint living through what they've lived through now looking at this pandemic saying uh, uh, what like why am i supposed to believe you
0: right and and that that skepticism is not unhealthy um but but i i don't i don't encourage anyone to stop at skepticism i, I i've used the phrase you know we need to not just double-check everything. We need to triple-check things. So maybe that person um, on that blog actually does have something that they've stumbled upon that's accurate. Um, the way you're going to know if it's accurate is to, to double-check it and then triple-check it. You know, I felt like in my case, I had the kind of city, state, and even federal officials uh, explaining to us that the water was comparable and it was meeting the Safe Drinking Water Act standards. And it wasn't until I was able to better understand what the independent academic and, and scientists and, and doctors were saying you know, later in the fall of 2015, that I realized that, that the double check wasn't good enough, that we really needed a triple check. And, and I think with the kind of challenges we're facing now with the pandemic and the economy and, and the racial injustice, um, I just, I don't wanna discourage anyone from being skeptical or putting their voice out there but but triple check the things that that you are using to protect yourself your business your family your community and if something holds up to that triple check then then now you have something solid to work with this is a very complex intersection of democracy and science and um People who are looking for easy answers, I think, are, are selling themselves short. We, we've got to be willing to to dig deep and, and challenge even our own beliefs. Um, you know, in my case, I wish I would have done that faster with Flint's water system. Um, but I think there's lessons in there for a lot of the things we face individually or, or as a community or as a country.
2: Now, I think it's very important that we tell our listeners, like, you know, they got lawsuits and whatnot in Flint. But, and they tried to name you in some of these, but you got dropped from them, and that's because of a lot of fact-checking, right? And so, you know, in my community, when people look at Flint, they're like, oh, everybody's guilty, but it's more nuanced than that, right? When you're talking politics and, and the bureaucracy that goes into that. So now you live in, you're from Flint, you live in Flint, and there's people who don't know those nuances, who just look at you like you were the mayor and you were in charge, when we know mayors of small towns have don't have that autonomy to do all those things. Now, in the aftermath of that, you being there with your wife and kids, how did the community treat you?
0: It's, it's been a mixed reception, um, but I have to say I got used to that as mayor even before the water crisis. Um, When when you're in a high profile political position, um, there are people, uh, thankfully, you know, who think you're you're a very good person and you're working very hard. And then the next person you bump into at the gas station uh, thinks you're a total jackass. And, um, you know, nothing that you say is going to convince them otherwise. Um, And that intensified uh, around the water crisis um, because there there was a lot of finger pointing and people were having a hard time figuring out, well, who really had the authority and what was the role of local officials versus state officials. And it's taken many, many years, but I, I believe there's starting to be some clarity about who actually did what, uh, not just who, who was having a finger pointed at them. And and I was, of course, you know, personally um, re- Uh, pleased to be dropped from the civil lawsuits um, to as far as the criminal Mm -hmm. lawsuits go to be uh, testifying you know for the prosecution uh, sharing what I knew and what I witnessed um, during those months where other people were making you know these disastrous decisions. You um,
1: you and I spoke the other day and you said that you uh, don't turn down a lot of these types of conversations Because you kind of, you you feel obligated to have them and keep them going. If somebody wants to talk about this, you feel like um, you need to facilitate that. I uh, appreciated that because I look at this, I kind of, there was a part of me standing in line at the bank that day, seeing this on CNN, like, you were still my friend in my mind. Like, I kind of looked at how this was happening to you and what might be happening in your house. And you've never been self-indulgent like that with me. Like, you definitely have always kept the, com- the couple conversations we've had in the last couple days focused on the community. But I can only imagine what you and Carrie must have talked about, you know, when you're brushing your teeth at night. Um, was there ever, ever a point where she was like, babe, we like (laughs) let's go or let's we can go do this somewhere else or i can't stand to see you hurt like personally on a personal level some of these people that were your biggest critics were people that were your friends at one point right or that you grew up with that lived on your block can
0: we talk about that yeah that 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 had happened um but there were so many difficult moments as mayor in Flint, and, and most of those did not get national media attention, so that was different about the, the water crisis. But th- there was a kind of um, core strength that I I believed I had developed during my time in office. It's like when you're you know you're you're training every day how to interact with people who have very different views than you do. Um, very different life experiences. You know, you, you can't sleep. You're you're wondering about the budget. You're wondering about you know what's coming next to the community. So, I, I saw it more as wanting to stay and be part of the fight for justice in Flint. Um, uh, some people might not have wanted to hear that, um, but I have invested so much of my you know life in this community. And, and I knew a lot of what the state was still trying to do even when uh, Dr. Weaver was in office and, you know, I was a, a private citizen. Um, the, the kinds of things they were trying to do and trying to pull were just reminiscent of what I had experienced and, you know, lifted my voice on Facebook and I, I didn't necessarily have the local media wanting to interview interview me on these issues because they could go to Dr. Weaver and, and hear from, you know, the mayor herself. But... Uh, I, I've done what I could to try to be a part of those conversations, um, to lift up my voice and to say, you know, this is what Flint needs. This is what would make a difference. And, and just stay in that fight. I, I think we have to recognize that, you know, democracy is not just like, you know, driving through and ordering your, your favorite coffee or what kind of toppings you want on your cheeseburger. Um, it's, it's tough and and there's winners and there's losers but we can't all just walk away you know we we have to we have to stay in the mix and um we see it in sports all the time you know we see (laughs) we see great teams that get out on the court and absolutely blow it or um you know uh, uh athlete gets injured and and can't you know play for a year and a half um i think we need to bring a little bit of that mentality to our to our politics and our public arena too is you know good people are gonna make mistakes and and people are gonna get injured um, and they're gonna have to you know find a way to rebuild and come back but uh, often those are some of the most amazing stories and and some of the most amazing players Um, and and I think we just need to create a little room for more of that in our politics maybe I can be an example of it Mm -hmm. and um and and still be appreciated for some of the good that i'm trying to do yeah i was going to ask
2: you like in those times do you even allow yourself any do you allow yourself to be sad or do you worry more about the people who drank the water it sounds to me and i don't want to speak for you but it sounds to me in that moment you were worried more about the people than yourself
0: yeah, I de- I definitely was was more concerned about about the community. I mean, even as I realized from Dr. Mona what had been occurring in our community and and how these weren't just risk factors, but but there was actually you know children being poisoned by lead from the water. You know, I, I came home and checked our refrigerator mm-hmm. filter, and I was uh, relieved to find that that you know drinking water dispenser that we all used every day because it was cold (laughs) um you know filtered out lead and copper and and i i i didn't i didn't have to feel as much anxiety about my own kind of health or those of my children um but trying to figure out how to get water filters into the homes of of women uh, on the WIC program who had young children and infants at home and Get out the message of not using this water, not using hot water for uh, for making formula. I mean, that was that was what I put my energy into, and and maybe you know I didn't show enough kind of passion or anger um, publicly. I tried to just funnel that into the work because I I thought there was um, an enormous cliff that had to be climbed, and, and I didn't know how I could be angry and climb that cliff at the same time. Um, we we got reconnected to flint water before i left office Um, as much dissension as there was with the snyder administration uh, the state agreed to put in money into getting us reconnected Um, their transition advisory board had to approve it even beyond myself and city council Um, the cs mott foundation contributed to that as well so before i left office um, while my my political profile was was in tatters um, I got this community reconnected to the Detroit water system
1: It's an important statement to make I think I was um, listening to another podcast the other day that made me think of a few different things both this conversation and, and sort of um, this thread that the three of us share in that we've all lost our fathers and um, uh, this The person being interviewed went through a trauma and he discussed this was many years ago in our past and he was talking now about how he realizes looking back that he didn't feel any feelings for probably a year or two after that trauma Um, it was like his body's mercy response is sort of how he referred to it, it was merciful that he didn't at first until he kind of had some time to wrap his head around some of the realities of what life was like now and I and that made me think about because again like I've said through all of this that I've read from afar it wasn't about a community that I didn't have a tie to and it wasn't sort of dealing with some person that was just a name in the paper my family my friends somebody I've known since I mean apparently since Freeman School you know like I knew the real players in the game and i coming into this conversation was really just curious about because I that's a trauma not only I think to the community that the community is living through, but personally to the players in the game, you know. And that's uh, I just hope I, I mean I don't know I, I hope that you choosing to funnel certain things into the work isn't going to take away from taking the time and space you need to kind of cope with some of these really I mean it's huge some really big
0: emotionally traumatic things to live through. Yeah, this, this was really um, important to me personally, and, and I, don't, I don't even know how many people connected these dots, um, but the other thing I was doing in um, you know, very late October and, and through the final days of the campaign in 2005 was going to see my father in the hospital. Um, because he, he went in to the hospital very late October. Um, so it was very painful to lose um, what would have been my 2nd reelection that night um, in November. But I have to say that what I really wanted to do and, and what I did at about 11-something uh, that night was drive down to the hospital to see my dad and tell him that, you know, hey, I I lost, Um, and just share that with him. Um, He had been there through all the campaigns, and uh, my parents were very generous with what they had, you know, they had maxed out financially in every campaign and um, been there with the brownies and the cookies (laughs) and um, helping with the yard signs and, you know, the pot of chili And um, I just I just needed to go and have that conversation with him, Uh, even though he wasn't able to say much in response. I knew he understood um, that I had lost. Um, But I, I know he was still proud of what I had been able to do while I was in office. And as a high school history teacher, you know, he understood a lot of these complexities of how government works and and unfortunately when it when it doesn't work. So. I, I was very concerned throughout those weeks for the community. Um, I, I I just didn't think too much about just my political reputation. Um, my father was in the hospital. He passed away in early December. The community was dealing with the water crisis. Um, you know what the the political profile of Dane Walling wasn't very important to me. Um, maybe that's actually why I took on as much water and, and took on as much heat as I did because I I wasn't out there every day just trying to protect my own political reputation. Um, But I think there are times in life where, you know, you got to do what you know you need to do, even if other people don't understand it. You you don't always have time to explain to everybody why you have to do something.
1: I think that you are now who you always have been. And I think that's um, pretty fantastic considering a lot of things. Um, so one day you woke up and you brushed yourself off and you had to figure out what to do next. So let's talk about that. Where are we now? Um, and I, I said, and when we talked in the intro too, that I was going to talk about Flint club and our, our conversation kind of went another direction, but let's look forward. Let's look ahead. What's happening now?
0: So I'm. I'm doing a lot of work that's really important to me right now in the community through my um, community development consulting work I I had um, put together my own consulting company before I was in office actually and then it was on hold and, and then I started that back up when I came out of office so that I could you know work on projects where I could have an impact and and enjoy the people that I was working with. So I'm working on some initiatives now in Flint around health and around um, community food and have been involved with things around you know public safety and faith-based institutions and and their ministry work in the community. But I've also made some time for myself intellectually, Um, I've gone back to the PhD program that I had also started when we were in the University of Minnesota because what my wife was doing just looked like too much fun. (laughs) And, you know, what else was I going to do every night after work? So uh, I'm finishing my PhD in geography, um, which focuses on urban geography. Don't think volcanoes (laughs) and, um, you know, chains of Mm -hmm. islands. Uh, Geography is the study of space, and um, there's no better way to understand cities than to think about the ways that the economics and the politics and culture and demographics all meet, uh, and what that means for you know all the the things that we need to do to live together. So, um, working on my PhD, uh, doing some adjunct teaching along the way at Saginaw Valley mm-hmm. State University, and um, prior to that, in earlier years at University of Michigan Flint and Kettering University. So, um, trying to further myself intellectually. I'm hoping I can write a book before I'm 50. Uh, if you could see the gray hairs <laughs> in my head, you would know I'm getting very close yes, to that point know. right now. So uh, I am trying to find time to, to write and to reflect and, um, you know, tell my story, but, but also just share the lessons. Mm-hmm. That I've learned and I've still I'm still involved in politics just more behind the scenes I actually made a run for state representative in 2018 I came in second in in the Democratic primary because um, I felt like I could make a difference at the state level um, so I, I don't know if I'll get back to that but I'm still you know having conversations with people and sharing my ideas and had a chance to work on the the Biden infrastructure policy team and um Give some input around you know how our infrastructure systems could be improved, especially around safety of water. So, I just want to see some of those lessons implemented, uh-huh. um, so that we can, you know, have better, stronger, healthier communities in this country. That's that's no longer a foregone conclusion. That that's something we're going to have to fight for. Um, I just
1: i I feel like we had a pretty awesome
2: conversation today yeah I I would just like to say I didn't know you before this but I appreciate your um, your honesty uh, your self-reflection your willingness to say hey I should triple check this I don't think uh, I think you should write that book um, because I don't know if everybody knows exactly what you went through because you were so focused on the work. And I can relate to that because uh, I deal with stuff sometimes and I just, I don't respond to everything that I hear and I just keep doing what I do, which is something my dad used to always tell me. And it seemed like you just kept doing what you should be doing. And you let all those people say all those things. And I hope that they take the time to look at all the facts and what those, because that's what I did before I interviewed you, <laughs> to look at all the facts and understand your role, what you could control and what you could not control. And so I just applaud you for your uh, your focus and your commitment to the community in the face of what, I, what had to be um, some trying times.
0: Well, thank you for that. That that means that means a lot to me, and I, I appreciate you opening up this conversation and and having it. Uh, I know with the format, of course, you know I've done almost all the talking, but it, it, it's been <laughs> you know it's been a pleasure to hear from you and and. Uh, and when you write the book, you can questions. come back
1: and talk to our forty-seven listeners about it. I Know that they'll be on the edge of their seats. wanting to hear
0: it. Um, now, when you're trying to sell books, you take every, every forty-seven Sold. people you can Sold. you can get. Yeah
1: yeah well um in a lot of ways this podcast has been somewhat self-indulgent for johnny and i to be able to talk about what we want to talk about mm-hmm. to connect with the people we want to connect with but um it has truly been uh, i've had a smile on my face all week that that my old my former algebra tutor and i have gotten to reconnect and have a few laughs and talk about some important stuff so thank you very much for being on the show Anything, anything you ever need in the future, uh, the answer is yes. Just let me know. <laughs> All okay. right. Thanks, Dane. Thank Thanks. you. This Strongly Worded podcast is written and produced by Johnny Hampton and Sue O'Lear. Music production and vocals by Marshall Max Lamont Hamilton and cover art by Samantha Shakes.